The date was Friday, November 22nd, 2019. Now, I don't expect you to remember what you were doing on that Friday morning, but I sure do. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a cold November day. It was that kind of November day that we experience here in Buffalo where the sky is gray, it's cloudy, the wind is cold, and it, I remember I had on a wool coat, and I could feel the wind just cut through the coat into my bones. Little flurrying taking place. At 11 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting in the front row. And as I was sitting there, I was listening to my brother-in-law, Jeff, who is a minister who is sharing. You see, Jeff was giving the eulogy to my father's funeral. My father had died one week before. And I was sitting there in the front row. I had my wife, Daryl Ann, on one side and my mother on the other side. And as Jeff was sharing, I was thinking. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, why is it that I haven't cried? You know, it's been a week since my dad died, and I haven't cried. Now, you might not think that's unusual, but I'm a guy who's not afraid of showing his emotions. When I'm happy, the room knows I'm happy. When I'm sad, the room knows I'm sad. When I'm irritated, Daryl Ann knows I'm irritated. And when I cry, I cry. So I thought it was odd. Here, my dad died. Was it because I didn't love him? Well, well, it couldn't be that. I loved my dad. I felt extremely close to my dad, especially later in life. My father and I became very close in our lives. Was it because as a doctor, I've experienced death so many times over the last 30 years? I've been to multiple patients who have died at their bedside, family members, friends, being at the bedside as somebody dies. I became hardened to death, even the death of my father. And so these thoughts were, these thoughts were percolating through my brain. And I remember Jeff sat down, and I remember his quiet. It was a deep, dark, long quiet as we were all grieving the loss of my father. And then I heard it to my right-hand side, the crisp, clear sound of a bugle playing taps. You see, my father was a United States Army veteran. And the United States Army sent an honor guard to honor my father at his funeral. And as that honor guard started to play taps, my eyes welled up with tears. And then they came forward with the United States flag, and those four members of the honor guard specifically, exactly, precisely, reverently folded the United States flag, and then triangularly with the stars on a field of blue. And then they walked solemnly over to my mother. They bowed before my mother and they presented her the United States flag. And they said, as your husband served his country, so the president of the United States and the citizens of the United States serve him and honor him at this time. And I wept. 
I wept. I bawled uncontrollably, sobbing, grieving for the loss of my father who served his country, who served his wife, who served his children, who served his grandchildren, who served the hundreds of children who went to Benjamin Franklin Middle School where he was a principal for 25 years. I wept at that moment. Now, why do I share with you such an intimate story this morning? Why would I share that with you? You see, as I was preparing for the message this morning, and I was thinking of Psalm 23, one of the most memorized psalms, one of the most quoted psalms, I I remember thinking, what could I bring new to new story? What new truth could could I tantalize you with, bring before you to help you understand the depths of Psalm 23? What new concept could I bring to you? And as I was praying before the Lord, I said, God, what new truth could I share to the people of new story? It was like God spoke to my heart. It wasn't words, but it was a voice to my heart. And it was as if the Lord said, Dave, don't bring a new truth to new story on Sunday morning. No, Dave, Dave bring an old truth. Bring a, bring a stable truth. Bring an eternal truth. Bring a truth that was right 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, is right today, it'll be right 2,000 years from now, and it'll be right into eternity. Something solid that you can hold on to in your time of grief, in your time of loss, in your time of pain. And so with that, I bring to you Psalm 23. And to read, I'm going to read Psalm 23. Well, let me correct myself for a second. We are going to read Psalm 23. You might be a little bit out of your comfort zone, but don't get nervous, all is well. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. All together, stand to your feet. You will see the words of Psalm 23 behind me on the screen. We will read Psalm 23 together. We will start with verse 1. We will read together Psalm 23 as follows. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. You may be seated. You all did excellent. You all did excellent. And so as we consider Psalm 23 this morning, and as I wrestle with this idea of an old truth, a stable truth, an anchor that can help us in the times of a storm, a rock that we can cling to in, in, a, in a difficult time. Is it not true that difficulties are common to us all? We all face difficult situations and difficult circumstances. And at times like that, it's important for us to know truth, something stable, something eternal, something dependable. And it was then that I realized 
that Psalm 23 is powerful, not because it's familiar. You see, Psalm 23 is powerful because it is true. That's the way truth is. All truth has power innate within it because it's true. It can be depended on, not necessarily because it's familiar. So with that, we're going to take the 23rd Psalm, which is six verses, and we're going to focus only on a mere one and a half verses this morning. That's all. One and a half verses. I'll read them for you. It begins with verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Very simple. Three points to my message. My first point is God restores us. He restores our soul. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the last six to nine months have been extremely difficult. I faced quite a few difficulties. I don't think it's an exaggeration to over the last six to nine months, I faced more difficulties than I have in my entire life, possibly all added together in the last six to nine months. But I think that's common to us all if we're, if, if we're honest with ourselves. You see, is it not true that our lives are constantly changing? Just think about the last year or two, let alone with COVID, right? Have you had a change in a job? Have you had a change in a boss? Have you had a change in a relationship? Have you had a wedding, Aaron and Joy? Have you experienced a wedding? Huh? Give it up for Aaron and Joy. Have you experienced a birth? Have you experienced a birth in addition to the family, maybe an adoption, maybe a loss of a loved one. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you experienced a change in your physical health. You young ones just wait till you get a little older. It happens. It happens. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual that I'll see uh, an elderly person in my office, similar to my age. <coughs> I'll say, so how you doing, Joe? How you doing? And Joe says, I don't know, Doc. I say, what's the matter, Joe? Oh, Doc, I don't like this getting old. My body's changing. I don't like getting old. To which I say the exact same thing. Getting old, Joe, is a good thing. There's only one way to not get old. And then I smile. <laughs> Think about it. Our lives are constantly changing. But not only are our lives constantly changing, our lives are fast. Do you feel the fastness of life? Sometimes it just seems like I can't pack enough into a 24-hour day, into a seven-day week. I have to rush and rush and rush and go from one thing to the next. Just hurried, hurried in the pace of life. I can't all fit it in. Reminds me of an experience that I have every single year. See, Daryl and I, I've shared before, Daryl and I have a little cottage in Canada. It's north of the Thousand Islands. It's on a lake that's about three miles long and about a mile wide. A bunch of different little islands. It's a beautiful lake. And at the base of the lake, where the lake comes together, it, it exits into a little stream that takes the water down to the next lake. Well, every fall, every winter, and every spring, the beavers congregate down at the base of our lake. 
and they like to build a dam, a beaver dam in our lake. Well, why do they do that? Because it holds back the water in our lake, the water level rises, and it has improved fishing for the beavers. Well, we who live on the lake don't like the beaver dam. When the water level is high, we don't experience the nice white sandy beach that's in front of our cottage. And we like to be on the beach to play with the kids or to play with the grandkids or to lay out in the sun and to just to build sun, sun, sand castles and just to enjoy the beautiful white sandy beach. So after the ice goes out on the lake, there's a couple of us guys who hop in a boat and, and when we go down to the base of the lake, and we go to the beaver dam, and we jump in the water up to about our waist, and the water's about 36 to 38 degrees, and in about 30 seconds, you're so numb, you can't feel yourself, and you start pulling out the branches of the beaver dam one by one and throwing them up on shore. Well, as we do this for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, or an hour and a half, eventually one of us will pull just that right branch. And when we pull that branch, the force of the thousands upon thousands of gallons of water of that lake pushing upon that beaver dam, blow through that beaver dam so that it opens up and the water starts draining. And, and we're in the midst of this rushing stream. And if you're not careful, it'll literally lift you off your feet and carry you downstream after clearing the beaver dam. Well, why do I share that story? See, that's the way I feel sometimes. Life is fast. It's like I'm in that fast stream and I got to keep up. I got to move. I got to hold firm. I got to stand, stand well or else I'm going to fall and I'm going to be taken rushing with the hurriedness of life. See, not only are our lives constantly changing, our lives are fast, but our lives are stressful. Are you feeling any stress at this time in your life, in your job, in your family, in your relationships? You know, uh, there's a medical research study done recently, and my practice bears it out. One in four people suffer from major depression, feeling sad, blue, helpless, hopeless, tearful. One in three people suffer from generalized anxiety, stress, fear. Think of a congregation this size and those that are watching online. Surely some of us have struggling with that. Fear and anxiety from the stress, the pressures of life. And isn't it true that in the midst of these stress and pressures that we need our souls restored, as the Good Shepherd does in Psalm 23? Restoration means to bring back to the original healthy state or condition. That's what the Good Shepherd does to our souls in the times of stress and hurriedness. He brings restoration. He restores our soul. We need to provide times to, to be in green pastures. I don't know about you, but at this point in time in my life, I would just love to lay down in a nice green pasture or meadow on a beautiful sunny day with a little babbling brook next to me and looking up at the sky in a beautiful blue sky with maybe some fluffy white clouds just kind of floating by. Doesn't that sound nice? Does that seem restore your soul? Where's your green pastures? Where do you go to receive the restoration that God has for you? Do you go out in the woods for a walk in the woods? Do you go to the park? Do you go to a quiet room in your home where you can be alone, just you and God? 
to come to church on a Sunday morning where you can be restored and encouraged? Where are your green pastures where you can be restored? Well, let me move on. I don't want to camp out on my first point too long. So point number one, God restores our soul. Point number two, God provides for righteous living. God provides for righteous living. Verse three tells us, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, what is it to be righteous? What does righteousness mean? I I get the fact that righteousness would have the root word right, being correct. But being righteous literally means being right in a moral way. Being right in a moral way. Let me help you understand that a little bit better. So how would we be right in a moral way? I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to yell out the answers. Ready? Now, don't worry. These aren't difficult questions. I'm going to ask you the questions. Ready? Here it comes. One plus one equals? Two. Ooh, yes. Two plus two equals? Four. Oh, man, you are so good. You are right in every answer. How about this one? The artists in the audience, what are the three primary colors? Red, yellow, blue. Red, yellow, blue. Absolutely. Three primary colors. Red, yellow, blue. No, not magenta. I'm sorry. Red, yellow, blue. Now, here's one for the mathematicians. You ready? What is the formula for the area of a circle? The area of a circle equals? Pi r squared. Absolutely. Pi times the radius to the second power. Excellent. You all pass. You all knew one and one is two. Correct answer. You all knew two and two is four. Correct answer. You all knew the three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. And you all knew the area of the circle, pi r squared. Your answers were correct. However, your answers were not righteous because those answers did not carry an implication of morality, good versus evil. Bear with me on that point, on this point. See, let me ask you a couple questions that would promote either righteous or unrighteous answers because there's morality involved. Bear with me for a second. What does it mean to stand for life? in a society that's focused on death. Or, here's one. If I believe that all people are made in the image of God, how then should I act to someone who has a different eye color, has a different skin color, comes from a different country, speaks a different language, lives in a different culture, or even has a different religion? If everyone is made in the image of God, how do I respond to them? How do I interact? How do I respect? That is a question that would stimulate morality in our thoughts and therefore would yield to righteous or unrighteous answers. Or here's one. What does it mean for me to show love to someone who hates me, has hurt me, or even harmed me? See, those are deeper questions. We wrestle with those in our soul as Christians. How do we behave? What leads us in righteous living? And so we're left with a paradox, a paradox that we struggle in our heads. And and the paradox is brought out in Romans, the third chapter, the 10th verse, where Paul says, none is righteous, no, not one. 
See, the reality is, is that none of us are righteous. It doesn't matter what we say or what we do or how pious we are or how well we know the scriptures, none of us are righteous. But the paradox is that the good shepherd's supposed to lead us in righteousness, but, but, but how do we become righteous when we're not righteous? And, and Paul goes on to answer that for us later on in the chapter, the third chapter, where in verse 22 and 23 and 24, Paul says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we aren't righteous. We can't be righteous, no matter what we do, how we speak, or how we behave. But we are led in righteousness because of the sacrificial death of Christ upon the cross. And as you study the scriptures, you start to see where the Old Testament kisses the New Testament. And what do I mean by that? You see, the God, the good shepherd, the God of the Old Testament, the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness is also the God of the New Testament who provides himself as the sacrificial lamb of the New Testament. God is not only the good shepherd of the Old Testament, but he is also the sacrificial lamb of the New Testament. It is his righteousness that we take on. One last thought before I move on to my third point. There are many times when God will lead us in paths of righteousness where he guides us and directs us by his Holy Spirit that encourages us on a daily basis. But there are many times also when God uses others to guide us in paths of righteousness. An example, every Sunday morning, as you come to this auditorium, Scott will be sharing. He'll be opening the word of God, sharing the word of God, and he will be guiding us as we listen in paths of righteousness. As he shares, he's pointing out the word and the application of the word, guiding us in paths of righteousness. So there are times where God leads us and there are times where others leave us. Just pause for a second and just ask yourself a question if you would. God, who are you using now in my life to lead me in paths of righteousness? Who are you using, God? Think, think about that. And if there isn't someone that comes to your mind, maybe you would want to seek somebody out. Someone who could kind of be Jesus with flesh on and could help you in that process. This would be a great plug for a story group that you could join where that could happen and interacting with one another, being led in paths of righteousness. So, so I ask you, who's leading you in paths of righteousness? But now I'm going to probe. I'm going to poke you a little deeper. I'm going to probe you a little bit more. And I'm going to ask you, not necessarily who's leading you in paths of righteousness, but who are you leading in paths of righteousness? Who are you mentoring? Who are you guiding? Who are you helping? Who are you encouraging? Once again, think of, think of a story group. We would love to have you join and participate as together we learn from the good shepherd. Well, let's move on to my third point. The first point, God restores us 
Our second point, God provides for righteous living. And our third point, God's presence provides an absence of fear, even in the face of death. The psalmist says in the beginning of verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Fear and anxiety, as I said earlier in my message, is overwhelming many of us in our society. Whether it's the fear of COVID or whether it's the fear of sickness, whether it's the fear of heights, the fear of flying, the fear of enclosed spaces, the fear of being in crowds, or maybe the fear of public embarrassment, the fear of not being accepted, the fear of being rejected, of being socially outcast. See, we've all experienced these fears. We all have. And yet, God provides for us even the fear of death. And so, once again, it reminds me of a little interaction that I often have with some of my elderly men in the office. And I'll do their physical exam, and I'll poke on their belly, and listen to their heart, and do their blood work, and examine the patient. I'll say, Joe, you got a good, clean bill of health. To which Joe always says the same thing. He says, so, Doc, am I going to live another year? To which I always say, well, Joe, you may live another year. You may not live another year. You see, once you leave my office, you're kind of on your own. And then I say, but I'll tell you one thing, Joe. There is one truth. Whether you live another year or you don't live another year, you're going to eventually die. You see, Joe, you're going to die. I'm going to die. My nurse is going to die. We're all going to die. And then I smile. And, you know, that's opened up many opportunities. Why? Because it's true. History has proven and science has confirmed that we will all die. But when we wrestle and come to grips with death, then truly we can learn how to live. It's an understanding and knowing death which brings us to life. Therefore, as the psalmist says, I will be with you as you travel through the valley of the shadow of death, you have nothing to fear. As I shared earlier, I've been at the bedside of many people who have died. Many patients, family members, and close friends. I can honestly tell you, without any exaggeration whatsoever, that when I'm at a patient's bedside, specifically a patient who I know has experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can tell you that as that individual passes from life until death, it's one of the most profound experiences of my Christian walk. As someone has passed from life into death, God is always present. I've never been in that situation where I could not sense the presence of God. He'll be with us as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. It reminds me of a, of a favorite psalm of mine, another one, Psalm 91, verse 1. Many, this is often quoted also. Psalm 91, verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let's recognize something about a shadow. If we're standing in that green pastures, and there's no trees, and there's no bushes, and there's no person, and there's no clouds, and there's nothing to impede the rays of the sun, there's no shadow. You see, you have to have a presence, a tree, a cloud. Something needs to be present in order to cast a shadow. It's, it's, it's rather simple. So do you want to dwell in the shelter of the Most High? You need to be in his presence. You need to be close to him. You need to be present with God. See, as we recognize this, we know that we can only be in God's shadow when we are in his presence. And when we are in his presence, then death or fear or anxiety becomes a shadow. See, anxiety is real. I, I've experienced it. I, I experience it quite often. Anxiety is real. Depression is real. These struggles in life are real. I'm not saying they don't exist. They exist. They're real. And yet, in the presence of God, they are a shadow. It's real, but it's a shadow. And that's a concept that we need to grasp onto in our Christian walk. It's one of those truths that is present 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's true today, and it'll be true on into the millennia. Seeking his presence, walking in his shadow, being with him, recognizing our concerns, our issues, and our problems, and yet choosing to make time to be with him and restored. And so my closing thought to you is to remember that Psalm 23 is powerful, not because it's familiar, but because it's true. And the good shepherd of Psalm 23 will restore your soul. He will provide for righteous living. And he will provide for an absence of fear, even in the face of death. Now, earlier this morning, before I spoke, I, I did something very simple. I asked you to stand. Maybe some of you were a little uncomfortable, but you stood. And you read Psalm 23 with me. And sincerely, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. But I'd like to ask you maybe to be uncomfortable one more time this morning. And, and, and what I'm saying is this. Can we be honest with one another? I, I have fears. They're real fears. Daryl could share with you sometimes when I'm incapacitated by some of them. It's true. And yet it's a shadow. But I'm wise enough to know that many of you have fears too. Worries, stressors, concerns. Some of them keep you up at night. Some of them impede your ability to relate with others. Some of them are involved in a barrier between relationships, even, even loved ones. Sometimes it leads to sadness, feeling blue, helpless or hopeless. It's reality. It's reality. But he restores our soul. He, he, he leads us in paths of righteousness. 
He desires intimacy with you as you reside in the shadow of his presence. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to come down front with Daryl Ann and Scott and Kim and Lindsay and Neil and others, Rafi, others. We just want to be available to you. We just want to pray for you. We just want to love on you and help you experience the shadow of the Most High, the, the path of righteousness, and to be encouraged. We just want you to experience a, a new story at this point in your life. And so, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray, Lord, that as your presence is with us, Lord, cover us with your shadow. Draw us closer to you. Encourage us in our walk. Help us, guide us, and lead us as we seek only to serve you, to love you,